Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or physician, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, Dwalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Welcome, everybody, to yet another episode of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast, episode number one of season four. That's right. It's 2024. By the time you're listening to this, I'm going to share some of our outlook for the new year, give you some things to think about. It'll be a wide ranging discussion of a lot of topics, many of which will be of paramount interest to you as you think about your strategic planning sessions into the new year. Grab a pad and pen. You know, it's a note taking episode. Obviously, brew another wonderful cup of that Mila coffee. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Welcome, everybody, once again to the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. I am your host, Perrin Desports. And as I teased in the introduction, I'm going to be prognosticating a bit. I'm going to be forward looking. I'm going to try to be thought provoking, God forbid. Uh, and give you some things to obviously contemplate as 2024 gets going. By the time you're listening to this, it will probably be the first week of the new calendar year. 2023 was, I'll say, an interesting year and, and a wide variety of sorts. 2024 hopefully will be a lot better in many, many ways, but it's certainly going to be different. So let's get this thing off and running. I'm going to give you some things to think about. When we talk about the year that was and the year that will be, uh, first and foremost on everybody's minds are is, is the world of M and A, um, practice value or group practice valuations, um, market multiples, uh, M and A activity. That tends to grab the three-inch headlines on the top of the newspaper or news feed for those of us looking at it on an iPhone. And that tends to be you know, the way people uh, gauge the success or failure of a given year. I think that's not the right way to go about it, I will tell you, but it certainly is a headline-grabbing type of a topic. So let's take that one from the top uh, and let's take it from uh, the perspective of the way many of you, I would think, would would take it, and that is, is if you were selling your business or have sold your business or contemplating selling your business. So, what is what do the M and A markets look like? What do multiples look like? What's the prognostic prognostication for things to come? Obviously, twenty twenty three was a down year globally as it relates to overall M and A activity, not just in the dental space or or healthcare services space, uh, but in all sectors and all markets, uh, somewhere to the tune of 25 to 30% on dollar deal volume uh, and the unit number uh, volume probably be off a little bit more than that from some of the stuff that I've read. So what does that mean? Why is that? And, and what does it mean as we turn into a new calendar year? For one, it means that we were coming off of record highs in the previous years. It wasn't too long ago that coming out of COVID, lending rates were 
you know, nothing for all intents and purposes. Uh, and there had been a lot of pent up demand uh, and some of it fanned by uh, presidential election leadership changes and tax rates and all that kind of stuff that really drove an irrational amount of volume um, in the year 2021. And 2022 was still the beneficiary of that as well. And toll lending rates started ticking up and the Fed uh, started uh, increasing the the federal funds rate. Uh, so m a activity started to cool and cool pretty precipitously uh, in um, the year 2023. And I think that really played out in the second half of the year. Most m a and banking transactions get done in in the second half of the year in q four specifically. Uh, but if you think about the where rates have been the last, three to six months, you can see that that put a, a damper on a lot of things, put a damper on a lot of things from a standpoint that there were a lot of private equity backed enterprise level groups that were staring down a recap, put one toe in the market. The market didn't look nearly as advantageous as it might have six months prior. They pulled their effort, went back to operating the business, and they'll come back to the M&A markets uh, for recap probably in 2024. So there were a lot of deals that if they went to market, they didn't stay in market very long. Uh, and, and that's at the top end of the food chain, obviously. Uh, and then there are others that um, really the, the valuation multiples required were not, were not going to bear it out. So, and again, that's not in healthcare services uniquely. That's in businesses across the board that have a private equity influence to them. What does that mean for, for us? Many of you have heard me talk about on this podcast and some others that I've appeared on this um, aspect that I called operators versus aggregators. You've heard me use that phrase um, frequently. I get emails and text messages and calls about it a lot from you know operators and you know business owners in the in the industries uh, that we operate in. Uh, as well as people looking to enter the industry, as well as those that are running private equity backed or enterprise level groups. And, you know, the the operator versus aggregator phrase, if you will, is is pretty easy to to throw out and it's not too complicated to understand. So let me unpack a little bit of this for you to start this segment of the podcast. And I'll tell you what it means for those that are contemplating exiting their business in 2024. So with the low, uh, historically low lending rates of, you know, the last couple of years, we saw a lot of uh, a, a lot more entrance into the healthcare services space, specifically dentistry. Uh, there were a lot of groups that were private equity, or, or there were a lot of private equity backed entities that were looking to plant their flag, especially in the world of dentistry. And a lot of them, uh, almost all of them, use some type of debt leverage to make their equity investment go further. And when the lending rates are, are all but zero, uh, they're able to borrow a lot of money in terms of volume. And whatever they're able to borrow, it doesn't cost them very much to do so. So the cash flow impact after debt service, after they've acquired assets, is, is very, very good, uh, very, very favorable is probably a better way of putting it. And so that is a, a phenomenon that you know, there are a lot of people wanting to enter the space because they understand the consolidation uh, trend that we're on. And they know that if they can somehow amass, uh, you know, $20 million, 10 to $20 million worth of EBITDA, 
uh, they can probably flip the business for a nice turn and, and create a an equity appreciation in that c- scenario that's a very, very short-term hold basis. Uh, and these were businesses that were formed lit- almost overnight uh, in rapid fashion. They were um, business development people that were overpaying by one to two turns um, uh, in terms of multiple of EBITDA uh, for common type assets. And this is no different than you and I, and, and at least in this context, selling a house. I mean, if our if the value of our house is a million dollars, let's say, and you get somebody that drives in the, the front you know, um, front driveway and knocks on your door and says, I'll offer you 1.4 for your house, that's a lot, right? I mean, it's kind of hard to turn that down. The difference, of course, is that you're moving out of your house and you're probably buying another house. And it's different when you're analyzing the value of a business as a going concern, as a, as a going entity here. And so what we saw was that there were a lot of people that borrowed a lot of money to buy a lot of practices and a lot of small groups. Uh, and they overvalued almost all of them that they did uh, to a degree irrationally. Uh, but most of those transactions were for something like a 60-40 cash to equity role. Uh, and, and so the sellers in those situations that that took those deals rolled a lot of equity into the parent company um, for the uh, prospects of a, a, of a recap down the road. And now that we're down the road, a lot of those recaps haven't happened. Or if they have happened, they haven't happened to the degree that was originally forecasted by the private equity backed group once they were entering the space. And that's created a lot of tension and a lot of problems uh, in the the space of healthcare services, dentistry specifically. And we're seeing that there are a lot of businesses where you know, the equity might uh, not be worth that much. Um, and, and it's a challenge when you go from an aggregator approach to an operator approach. An operator-driven business is one uh, that is focused on discipline around acquisitions, paying, you know, worthy multiples of uh, appropriately valued businesses. And then after acquiring them, focusing on operations. Operations is driving more profitability. It's driving more revenue. It's driving more cash flow. It's creating practice level or small group level increases in the valuation of those businesses, even though they just acquired them. This is no different than the way we operate our business, and it's no different than the way most of you operate yours. You're not just acquiring dots on a map. You are interested in clinic-level operational improvement. It is the discipline of any business, whether it's healthcare services or otherwise. But when lending rates are so dirt cheap and there is a plenty of uh, there's a there's a large number of people looking to exit uh, and you're fanning the flames with dirt cheap cost of funds uh, and overpaying by a turn or two, it all of a sudden gets to be, you know, kind of sexy to people. And so we saw a lot of entrance into the space as aggregators, and now we've seen them face uh, headwinds and challenges in a rising rate environment. It corroborates the thesis around those that are very operationally disciplined. And when we say operationally disciplined, we mean that from a clinic to clinic level operation, but we also mean it from a business development construct. And that is what those 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 private equity backed 
groups are willing to pay as a multiple of EBITDA and the way they use debt structure to get those deals done. A rising rate environment adversely impacts not only the multiples they're able to pay because it's harder to get uh, cash flow beyond debt service out of them if you overpay for it, but it also is influenced by um, a shrinking credit box. So there is less available capital from a lender to a private equity-backed venture to um, uh, litter around uh, the field of acquisitions. Uh, And so this creates a bit of a stall. So when I talk about the unit volume and M&A being down year over year, this is what I'm talking about. There are not as many deals being done. And when I talk about the dollar volume, the deals that are getting done are not getting done at the historic highs that we've seen over the last couple of years. And you can make a really, really good case that in 2021 and 2022, um, the valuation multiples were uh, irrationally exuberant, uh, to use a, a former chairman of the Fed, Alan Greenspan's favorite phrase. So what does that mean uh, for us where we stand today as we look into 2024? There are a lot of y'all who've built very successful businesses that are contemplating exit. And is this the time for you? I would say yes. Uh, we are. If you have built a, a quality business that uh, produces a healthy volume of EBITDA and is very operationally uh, efficient, there will always be a a buyer for that business. It's a matter now of uh, having rational expectations around valuation uh, and having realistic expectations around the process involved. Um, Because now that private equity-backed groups have fewer available dollars to spend on acquisitions, they are being uh, much more diligent Uh, in their due diligence process. It is taking longer. They're trying to uncover every stone justifiably, and they're trying to corroborate the valuation thesis that uh, all the parties have agreed upon to to justify acquiring, in this case, your business. So you should be prepared for a much more um, uh, robust, uh, thorough diligence process, and you should expect it to probably take a little bit longer too. Not like twice as long, but um, the length and the detail involved is commensurately more than what it was in the past. And multiples, I think, are coming back to earth. I mean, that's not to say that they're going to hell in a handbasket, far from it. Dentistry and most of the healthcare services verticals that we uh, are, you know, work in are, are very, very healthy spaces. So let's not, let's not take a return to the norm as being uh, the bottom has fallen out of the market and, and businesses are undervalued now. I don't think that's the case at all. I think that it's just a return to where we frankly should be um, based on uh, some overspending and some underperformance uh, at businesses at the top end of the food chain. Uh, So the other aspect of this that I would tell you that is really worthy of consideration, it it always is, but now more than ever, uh, and that is what I would call buyer diligence. So we're a sell-side representation firm. If you build a successful multi-location group dental practice or group healthcare practice, we are your advisor in that sale process. That being said, you really want to be able to trust the guidance of your advisor that the buyer that you're about to to sign a, a letter of intent with is the right partner for you. The buyer 
matters a lot. If you are going to roll any amount of equity, your intention is that the equity improve in value over a reasonable period of time, a reasonably forecasted period of time. And this is a situation where I think there were a lot of buyers entering the space that didn't have dental experience or didn't have healthcare services experience. And a lot of the people that that hitched their wagon to that buyer found out that they didn't hitch their wagon to a horse, they hitched it to a mule. And that is not a position you want to be in. It is a position that uh, you should be able to trust your sell side advisor. And to a degree, you need to be able to do some diligence on the buyer, corroborate who they are, what they're about, the experience they've had, and and understand that when you sign on to this journey, that you have faith and confidence that they're going to be able to create the outcomes that you went into the process expecting from day one. And if you can do that, it will be a healthy transaction for you financially and emotionally and otherwise, um, but also the, the go forward look to the new business that you're creating with them uh, is a healthy one that you that you uh, can reliably forecast to yield the outcomes that you want. And and I think in terms of that, you want to you want to evaluate your your sales side representative. It goes without saying. Um, so let's kind of pivot off of the world of M and A for a second, and let's talk about the build and operate segment. Um, and this is you know our core. Our core client uh, is the entrepreneur who happens to be um, a healthcare practice or group practice owner that wants to build a business that's no longer dependent upon his or her clinical skill set exclusively. They want to build a multi-location group. And I think we're in a different segment of that market than what we've seen uh, in the past. You know, all sort of, you know, curves, if you will, in terms of uh, distribution curves, have that the the bell curve, right? You know, the bell in the middle and everything. And I think those that were building group practices early on were the innovators and early adopters or what they're known as. And these were the people who um, were first to the market. Um, They saw an opportunity. Um, They're able to read the tea leaves really well. Um, They're very savvy operators. They can make quick investment decisions. Uh, And a lot of these businesses were built for scale and a lot of them were built for sale. And I think we've seen a lot of that push through the market in the last handful of years. That being said, I think we're in the, uh, the the segment of the mainstream market that we call the early mainstream. And there are a lot more people that are interested in, in building groups for the sake of operating groups. They may have an exit intention down the road, but it's not imminent. These are people who are really building longer term businesses or even legacy businesses if they have kids in, in dental school. Uh, and and that's a different type of a mindset, the build and operate versus the build and exit that we've seen. And I think this has been a, a significant shift over the course of 2023. Um, and these are a lot of conversations that I've had with people speaking at conferences and getting to know a lot of a lot more of the public and getting to to interact with them. And I think that build and operate is a is a different mentality. Um, and it's one that 
you know, candidly fits really well with a lot of the core services that we offer. And it's one of the differentiators of Polaris versus a lot of other firms in the space. We're not a sell side ex- exclusive firm. We offer those services, but we also obviously have consulting and associate equity and debt recapitalization, call center consulting, and a lot of other things for those who are, who are in the build and operate uh, mode. One of the fundamentals of building a group practice is having a reliable source of debt funding. You hear me talk about this a lot, and I refer to it as the Achilles heel of groups because we see it stall so many groups in their growth strategy and really grind it to a halt. Uh, and, And banking uh, with the rise in rates, of course, has been a bone of contention for about the last 12 to 18 months. And for those building group practices, having a committed source of funding uh, from a lower middle market or middle market lender, this is true business to business banking, not retail banking. Um, having that committed source of funding really allows you the flexibility to execute your growth strategy, whether it's buy or build. It's nice to know how the game is played from leverage ratio standpoint, debt service coverage, cash on balance sheet, a lot of the, a lot of other parameters that you get in a business to business lending um, context that you don't really get in a retail situation. So what does it mean in a in a in the rate environment that we find ourselves in right now? And I think this is probably something that I have not done a good enough job of communicating to people. Um, and, and I'm not sure why, but I probably uh, the onus is on me here. So when we take a, a client through um, a debt restructuring effort and we we go through, it's much like a sell side process, honestly, except it was with the bank on the other end and not a, a private equity backed buyer on the other end. So you know, when we are able to negotiate a deal, a banking deal for a client, it is a lending commitment from that banking institution to fund the future vision of our client. Um, there is a term sheet involved uh, with all the the rules of the game, like I mentioned before. Uh, and the nice thing is it is a commitment in writing. As long as you continue to operate the business successfully, the bank will continue to lend to you. That being said, let's talk about the rate, because I think this is something that not enough people really understand, and this is really important as we turn into 2024. The lending commitment from the the middle market or lower middle market lender to you, the borrower, our client, the lending commitment is in place. The rate only matters when you draw upon the funds, right? not at the point that the lending commitment is made. It's when you draw upon the funds. The reason this is important is because we did a handful of banking transactions in 2023 when rates were still rising. And the question would be, why would you do it then? Well, the reason you would do it then, if the business were performing well at least, is because you have the commitment in place we were really confident that the Fed was not going to continue raising rates indefinitely into the future. There was going to come a point where the Fed was going to stop raising rates and potentially even pull back and and maybe have a rate cut. What do you think is going to happen in 2024? Jerome Powell, the Federal Reserve Chairman, has basically come out and, and 
corroborated a lot of the uh, investors' thesis that there's probably between a 50 to 100 basis point rate reduction built into calendar year 2024. And with that, rates are going to start coming down. And obviously, the cost of funds comes down with it. But for our clients who already have the approval in hand, this is music to their ears because they've got the commitment from a lender and now the rates are falling. And this will allow them to probably, you know, not double the number of acquisitions they make, don't get me wrong, but certainly do it at a a less expensive rate. Um, And the cost of funds will be commensurately less as we enter 2024. For those of you who've been following your local marketplace, understanding the dynamics around potential acquisitions, I I still think we're probably two to three years out in terms of being top heavy and a lot of uh, senior dentists exiting the profession. I think there's going to be a target uh, target rich environment to have and having that lending commitment in the back of your pocket and knowing that the rates are going to be declining is a really, really advantageous, advantageous place to be in. This is the ideal time, Q1 of a new calendar year, to be going through a banking process. It is really arduous in Q4 with banks being involved in all the world of M&A and payoff statements and all that other kind of jazz. This is the time that things settle down and you can get more banking deals done. So for if you are in that build and operate segment of the early mainstream and building a group practice, and you are going to buy or build practices in the coming years, now is the time to get your banking house in order and get a lending commitment in place in a declining rate environment. Critically critically important. Secure that lending commitment now and be able to to execute your growth strategy into the summer months and certainly in the second half of the year. the the, the, The rate that you are charged for the cost of funds is when you draw upon the commitment, not at the point when the commitment is made um, in in terms of working together. All right. That's, that's critically important. So the second piece uh, of this sort of build and operate strategy is, is one that this is going to be kind of clunky, but like how big, like how big do you want to build your business? What's the, what's the real vision? Is this a four to five location group that you want to build? Or is this a, you know, 10 to 20 or more location group? And if it is going to be more of a platform uh, type of a, a business that you want to build, meaning 10 locations, 20 locations or more, centralized services, call center, uh, professional leadership team, on and on and on, then I'm happy to confirm what some of you already know, and that is that we are going to be hosting a conference in late April called Accelerate 2024. And this is a conference that is going to be based around that platform infrastructure. We we did one last year in Fort Lauderdale. This year's is going to be in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Pretty cool, eh? Um, so we're excited uh, about that. Some of you have already pre-registered for it. April 24th through 26th, I think, are the dates in San Juan. Going to be pretty uh 
uh, pretty lovely in terms of a time of the year for it. So certainly um, mark your calendars for that. You can find a little bit more details on our website under events. That's PolarisHealthcarePartners.com and go under the events tab for it. Here's the kicker to this. The hotel where we're hosting it uh, is is not huge and it has limited capacity. This will be the smallest conference we've ever hosted. Uh, and it's going to be limited to 50 attendees. Uh, we think we can get 50 attendees with the speakers and the sponsors and everybody uh, and the Polaris people all um, into a room of about, uh, I think that'll host 70. So 50 is probably going to be a hard cap on it. We expect it to sell out. Uh, and this is going to be um, about accelerating your growth in building a platform for 2024 and beyond. Uh, it, we're going to focus a lot on doctor development and certainly uh, what it what it takes to build uh, a platform. So if you're interested in joining us, we think the spaces, the seats will go pretty quickly. Get on that pre-registrant list. We haven't even opened up registration yet um, because we ha don't have the room block and all the other things done, but figured it's worth talking about right now. Uh, and I think it'll be a, a, a tremendous conference for those that are in the build and operate um, uh, type of a mode for uh, 2024 and beyond. You know, as it relates to to build and operate, um, I, I think this is going to be probably the largest area of growth for our business as we turn into 2024. And and the reason that I'm I'm so bullish on it is because uh, Aiden Bradley, uh, who leads our consulting group, uh, is probably the most popular person at Polaris right now with the number of client signups that he's got. Uh, launching in um, uh, January, and certainly Mark Flock, who does most of our associate equity models um, for, for many of you, uh, is waist deep in cap table updates and model updates uh, for those of you closing out 2023 right now. It, 2024 is going to be a really fun year for us as it relates to consulting and partnership models. Certainly Scott Benetti, who leads our call center consulting, uh, is going to be a very popular guy as we turn into the spring and, and move through the Accelerate 2024 conference. Uh, so we're we're excited about all of that. And one other thing about the conference itself, we're probably going to use this as the official coming out party of something I'm going to tell you right now. And that is that we will be in at least one, possibly two healthcare service verticals outside of dentistry by the middle to end of 2024. Um, we've dabbled in a couple of them. I'm not going to go too deep into that right now. We've represented a couple of people in terms of transactions, uh, but we've also done a little bit of light touch consulting and some debt recapitalization services in non-dentistry uh, group practices. And we are uh, we have our eyes set, uh, our sights set on a couple of different commitments as it relates to healthcare services outside of dental. I get probably one to two emails a week from uh, non-dentists saying, hey, Perrin, I love your podcast. Thanks for putting out all the content that you do. You know, do you all work with chiropractors? Do you work with dermatologists and med spa? Do you work with behavioral health? Do you work with vets? Do you work with ophthalmologists or optometrists? <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of inquiries that we all get from non-dentistry uh, groups. And 
proud to say that in 2024, uh, the answer will be a strong yes, and you'll have to wait and see for what the the specific verticals are that we target next, but I think it'll be a really cool year for us. One other clunky segue as it relates to 2024 um, that I wanted to um, go ahead and talk about also is the fact that with this sort of build and operate segment of the market space, um, there are those who are operating successful solo practices or maybe one to two locations, and they're not sure if they want to build a group. And if they do, they're not sure if it's the right time or if this is the right journey. They don't know what they don't know, and they're not just going to swing for the fences and acquire a practice willy-nilly and not not go in with uh, all the, their, their questions answered beforehand. I applaud them for that. Um, you all know that we have a six-week multi-practice accelerator course called the Catalyst Project. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think there are only like two or three seats left in the one that starts in February. So if you're if you're one of the many that are contemplating joining the February course, uh, I urge you to do so because I think that thing is surely going to sell out. Um, so the Catalyst Project is a six-week course. It's a, a short-term course um, to really get a lot of the fundamental questions answered for many that are contemplating that next step in their journey but aren't necessarily committed to it. Um, they think it might be the right thing, but they're not sure, and they'd like to just get get the fundamentals answered then make the decision for themselves. Catalyst is perfect for that. Um, and and it's I, I know most of the people who are going to be in this February course, and I think it's going to be a great group dynamic as well. That goes without saying. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I get to lead it, honestly, but I'm also really excited about the, the people who are going to be in it. It's going to be a lot of fun. That being said, I think that one of the things that I experienced um, uh, speaking at a number of conferences this past year is what I would uh, call seminar fatigue. And I think that there are a lot of people that are going to the same DSO conference in a different Marriott hotel ballroom in a different city on a different weekend and seeing the same attendees and seeing the same speakers. And there's not a there's not a whole lot of increasing value coming out of that. And I heard that refrain from a lot of people. A lot of you in this audience love our content, and I'm very grateful for that, especially the praise that you give us. It, it helps me to keep going, so to speak. Um, but it also does bring up the question, if there are so many other conferences and, and so many people are getting seminar fatigue, is there a better way to, to go up about uh, communicating some of that subject matter on a consistent basis. And I believe that there is. Uh, and we are going to launch in 2024 a group coaching model uh, at some point called the Ascendant Executive. I lead the Catalyst Project. I'm the one that teaches those uh, Tuesday night and Friday afternoon sessions personally. And I'm going to lead the, the group coaching model called the Ascendant Executive. Um, it'll be a lot of business fundamentals. It will pick up where Catalyst leaves off. And it'll be oriented at those that are still you know, going about uh, making the commitment to building a group. And they want to get the fundamentals straight early on. Um, we do a lot of that in our discovery day sessions, but that's a one day session. And sometimes our strategic consulting program is uh, is too big of a lift for people who are too early on in their journey um, or they don't want to move fast enough, maybe where they need the guidance of Aiden or Mark or me or or DeWalker. And, and that's completely understandable and justifiable. And so I think Ascendant Executive 
will be a much more evenly paced web-based group model um, that will address some of the earlier concerns of a lot of you who who do want to make the commitment to building a group. But again, you need some some fundamental guidance. I get the feeling that that uh, is is talked about a lot from the stage, but there's not a lot of there there when you get back home in terms of how to apply it. And from what I've heard, some of the other group coaching uh, services in the industry are maybe coming up a little bit short. I think we can do it better, and I think we have more to say, and I think we've got uh, better grounding on fundamentals. And so I'm I'm really excited to be working on that project as well. So I think for 2024, there's going to be a lot of good stuff to come at Polaris, uh, not just for dentistry, but in other healthcare uh, verticals. And I think the market is going to come back to a little bit of um, – a rationality, a little bit of even keel, um, and we're going to get back to fundamentals around operations. And that makes me really, really confident in both the profession of dentistry and those other healthcare service verticals that have experienced a lot of the same thing, that, same things that group dental practice owners have this over these last probably couple of years. Um, I think the profession as it relates to dentistry and other others is incredibly healthy. I think the opportunities are great. And I think 2024 is going to be the first um, of, a, of a year that may be a pivot up in the right direction. And I'm excited about that. And I think this is going to be, as we think about strategic planning for our company into 2024 and beyond, this is going to be a, a pivot point in the start of something new. And that's going to be a heck of a lot of fun to be a part of. I'm really glad that y'all are along for the journey. I really appreciate all the kind words of praise, gratitude, and and compliments that you share. I get a lot of text messages from a lot of y'all, um, and they're they're ones that really, you know, it it they really hit me in the heartstrings, honestly, especially this time of year. Um, and I'm I'm grateful for all that. Really appreciate you all being listeners and a subscriber to the podcast and to all of our content. I appreciate you sharing it with your colleagues and helping us grow our audience. I really appreciate the support of our company that all of you make financially, personally, and, and otherwise. It's a true joy to be working with you, and I can't wait for 2024 to really get rolling. See you on the next episode.